0: It's bad
1: and bullshit. Those months when I was pregnant, all around this same time. So we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security, he's not going to be given a title. and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And... Who... Who is having that conversation with you? What? So... Um, There
0: is a conversation hold up. hold up there's several right con-
1: there are several conversations There's a
0: conversation it. with you with Harry about how dark your baby is going to be potentially and what that would mean or look like that was relayed to me from Harry
1: yeah the other the other trauma Megan experienced
0: racism and misogyny I put that only one because I just I can't
1: they're inextricably linked,
0: yeah. <sighs> Basically, what she insinuated was that Archie didn't get the same respect as the Queen's great grandson, that and the same privileges because um, of the color of his skin, which is very white-looking. But whatever, um, <laughs> I'm going to get into that in a bit. I
1: know, I know, it's so weird.
0: I mean, it's they... so weird to
1: think about it in retrospect.
0: I'm just like, but also, oh, what's the skin tone you're talking about?
1: But <laughs> also, Megan's not dark skin.
0: Yeah, which is another story. So, okay, okay. So let's let's just dive into that. Okay. Uh, because this is one of my criticisms of her in this whole interview. Like, what is obvious to me is that Megan has benefited from light skin privilege her uh-huh. entire life uh-huh. and has no clue that colorism is a thing and so she's not able to articulate her experience within the perspective of white supremacy and I'm not going to criticize her a lot for that because we all come to these realizations at different times like it took me a long time to realize certain things too right and this podcast was instrumental with that but um, i cannot emphasize enough the power within um, communities of color and within whites and within society of the proximity to whiteness so because Megan's proximity to whiteness is shorter, smaller, less of a distance than most black people, she seems to have skipped over the a lot of parts of her um of her upbringing and her experiences and her life experiences. Um she just is very light-skinned like and um you know she grew up in LA which has a lot of light-skinned black people I've Mm -hmm. been to LA I was just like but it's like it's it's different from like being in Atlanta with a lot of light-skinned black people
1: yes well because the culture in Atlanta is inherently more black
0: yes and and they've been there and basically grow like their families have been there since Mm -hmm. like i don't know 1700s or something right Right. and so the legacy of slavery is just very very real there so light-skinned black people um in atlanta are black yeah Whereas in L.A., there's so there are a lot of I remember going to L.A. and being like, there's a lot of light skinned black people here. And you could tell that they're like mixed, like biracial mm-hmm. black people. And so the consciousness of that just didn't seem the same. Mm. So, I mean, or not of racism, because obviously, you know, the L.A. riots would tell us differently. Um Or the L.A. uprising, I should say. (laughs) Um, And of course, there is a lot of racism in L.A., but I feel as though she was able to cut herself off from the day-to-day experience of it.
1: Yeah, and I would say that that is, I would venture that that is probably because she was in an industry that, fetishizes exoticism. Yeah. And she doesn't look white, but she looks doesn't quite look anything else. So she's just like ethnically ambiguous. Yes. And that is very exotic to you know these white executives. Right. And (laughs) they want they want someone who's like, oh yeah, like she she looks white but not really.
0: Yeah. And they don't want anybody too black. Yeah. Like like she is an acceptable amount of black <laughs> mm-hmm. for for the majority of white people in North America. Mm. Yeah, that is that's real. Do you think that and Jessica- she behaves
1: in the in the right way? Too, yeah. Right. She's not overtly black. Exactly. In, in her behavior.
0: Yeah. I mean, I doubt that she she would roll into like Jessica Mulrudy's house to talk about white supremacy like Mm -hmm. you know what I mean that that's and that's real too because I think the whole um Jessica Mulrooney thing really showed that Megan was as black as they were comfortable with Mm -hmm. whereas Sasha was not right you know so I think that you know, the level of colorism and the nuances of colorism was obviously missed by her in that interview because you know, when she's like, well, the Commonwealth countries are mostly people of color and they want to see somebody representing them who who kind of looks like them, and I'm like, you don't look like most of those people in the Commonwealth so
1: so yeah, yeah, I yes, I agree. So do you think it's that? she doesn't understand colorism even though her mom is very dark-skinned or is it that she just chose to not address that because it's too complex of an for the same reasons that it's not Oprah's job to explain colorism because you want to make it as broadly understandable as possible
0: I don't think she's that aware Hmm. I really don't I I think that I just like how would she be a where, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. where would she get that awareness? And it's funny you should say her mom's very dark skinned because to us she looks like a little medium.
1: Oh yeah, no, I mean like I mean in relation to Megan. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, oh yeah, she looks like Kunta Kinte in relation to me. <laughs> I mean, come on now. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's how fair Megan is, and let's not pretend that Prince Harry would have picked up anyone darker than Megan. Like let's let's just put that out there,
1: but it's I mean just, it's actually also better that he didn't.
0: <laughs> well, well, yeah. Can you imagine? My goodness, they wouldn't have made it past the threshold. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I like I think this is her first real encounter with uh-huh. the ugliness and the sustained vitriol and the sustained violence because there's a lot of lateral violence happening in this story. Um, Yeah,
1: and, like, it's one thing – a lot of people, particularly those who exist that have very close proximity to whiteness, and I think this is a lot of Asian people, mm -hmm. don't understand that being exoticized and fetishized is a form of racism. Yeah. And white supremacy.
0: Yeah. Like, they don't love you. You're just, like, a cute – you're just, like, a – it's – it's literally putting people in glass cages and, Mm. and, you know, ogling them Mm -hmm. as though they're far as though they're animals for you Mm -hmm. to, to enjoy and Mm -hmm. pick up and play with when you want to. And you've just, you've just removed their entire humanity and their entire it's dehumanizing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it was, this kind of hits on what, you know Kathleen wrote about it in Refinery Refinery Twenty Nine, where you know this probably was her first and biggest um, interaction with racism and racist mm-hmm. structures or systemic racism. But it's because she trusted a white system that ended up failing her.
0: Exactly, and that's what Kathleen also said on Pop Chat mm-hmm. was was something similar, um, and to say you know and she she emphasized this part of the interview which is i trusted them i trusted them to keep me safe
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and i'm not going to criticize megan on that because Mm -hmm. a lot of us trust these institutions to do what they're supposed to do
1: especially when you're supposed to be family uh,
0: yeah exactly and you know to behave in a manner that is um, that is like it's not that you don't expect to encounter some sort of sure bigotry or racism. It's that you trust that the systems of these institutions will work out in a way where you actually see um, you know, redress or some type of accountability. And what mm-hmm. we're finding out in, in all of these institutions that we pay for and we're supposed to believe in, they've failed black women especially, and indigenous women to be mm-hmm. honest. Absolutely. And and so I mean and of course women and, and everybody everybody else. Um so I think that that's that's why a lot of black women um relate to this story it's not that we relate to Megan in a way where it's like she could be my sister okay. uh, it's literally because we know those experiences we know the mental health results from them mm. we know what that's like we felt that pain we've been there and I think that when talking to white people who are like I don't know if she's believable or I don't know if I trust her or she comes off as this that's the part that they will never ever get Mm -hmm. because they don't have to deal with that yeah um on that level uh you know the only time especially white women have to deal with that is when they come up against male dominated systems Mm -hmm. well which is every system to be honest but (laughs) but it's it's within that that confine that they understand that but for me I don't see Megan as my girlfriend who I could sit down and have wine with she's a little too earnest for me She's not going
1: to drop, she's not going to say fuck and then frankly I'm not interested.
0: Yeah, yeah, really. Like I'm not here to say that I want to chill with her because frankly I just couldn't. I'd be like girl, don't you understand white supremacy? Come on, come on, come on now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but we relate to the story because it replicates so many of our own. That is the point.
1: And that's why, you know, when we talk about representation in the media and in pop culture, it, that stuff's so important because it gives you something to glom onto and be like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like that. I can totally relate with that. I can totally relate with what's happening to these characters and this story. And, um, and I think that, you know, digressing slightly here when executives are faced with the decision of like, oh, well, this story is not broad enough like about a, like a, an immigrant experience, you're like, well, no, because immigrants aren't a monolith. Everyone's experience is different. You know, um, the Asian experience is different. Hell, even like the Korean and the Chinese experiences are different. And that's not even going into like Southeast Asia or India. And like, those are all extremely different and nuanced. But yeah. the, the basic underpinning, of the themes in those experiences is broadly understandable. You know, your immigrant parents come from more oppressive societies. And so they instill those values on you at home because that's how they were raised.
0: Oh, most definitely. And, um, you know, one of the things I, have experienced throughout my whole life is that the immigrant experience is very unifying across cultures Mm -hmm. in this it's different for everybody in specifics yeah but you know I know what it's like to you know to have people call you you know people from back home call you spoiled and you calling them a fob you know what I mean absolutely like that's kind of universal you Mm -hmm. know what I mean um and uh so i think that that's and when i'm saying this i'm talking about like a non-white immigrant experience by the way for for the most part um but even no 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 no, no. let me rephrase non-western country immigrant experience because i feel like eastern europeans could relate yes yeah
1: i agree yeah yeah Yeah. so
0: what were you gonna say
1: no i was gonna say that
0: I'm self-correcting sometimes. Um, So, yeah, like, I don't think we need to. So that's one thing that I feel um, was missing. But, um, you know, I think she still has time to unpack. And I don't want to say that she's wrong or that she's ignorant. She just it's just not a reality for her. And that's the difference between her and someone like me, who's very visibly black, right? Yeah. And so, Well, and it's like
1: you and Selena were saying when you in your interview, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't hide your blackness.
0: Right, right. So it's almost like you have to create, it is like you have to create a counter black narrative mm-hmm. in order to not an anti, the system forces you to create an anti-black narrative in order not to seem too black because you look black. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, Because you, you, I mean, you're code switching. Totally. You have to put on an entirely different person. You have to put on your work persona or whatever.
0: Yeah. And a work persona that just strips you of everything that makes you, you, because if not, then somebody's going to be, to complain that you're too loud, which happened to me a lot at work. And which, I would, which is them saying they didn't like what I was talking about, too. Yes.
1: Yeah. I would say that, like, on at, using this perspective, I think Megan's story is relatable because they stripped her of her personhood. Yeah. Like, they didn't necessarily strip her of her Blackness, because I don't know that that how is... How much but, there was to strip? Well, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know how strongly she identified identified as Black or identifies as Black
0: i don't know
1: well exactly so you know them stripping her of her personhood and um independence i think is probably the the relation yeah uh, parallel here
0: yeah um so yeah i mean let's uh i just want to say that um the royal family uh is obviously racist um I'm not going to debate that on this podcast because, you know, why would you listen to this podcast if you need that debated? Um, But Mm. I want to bring up Princess Michael of Kent. And this is an example. Mm. So Princess Michael of Kent, wife of Prince Michael of Kent, speaking of stripping somebody's personhood, I don't even know her. We don't even know her first name.
1: No, but that's, that's, um, that would, I I think that's also the way that um, before um, William and Kate got their Duke and Duchess titles. Yeah. She was, there's like a way that it works where they don't, because they don't formally have last names. Yeah. That you just become princess husband.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah but that's my point. Yeah. Um, Queen Elizabeth's first cousin was spotted wearing a racist brooch on her coat while arriving to the palace with her husband. The accessory is a piece of blackamoor jewelry, which fetishizes images of slavery and emerged as an artistic response to the European encounter with the Moors. Dark skinned, Muslims from North Africa and the Middle East who came to occupy various parts of Europe during the Middle Ages, um, commonly fixed in positions of servitude, as footmen or waiters, for example, the figures personify fantasies of racial conquest. Um, Some people are like, oh, well, did she know? Yeah, she knew. Like, (laughs) I mean... I mean, let me not, let me not strip the agency from this woman.
1: I mean, yeah, it's already been stripped away most of it anyway. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So imagine, and that's upon her meeting Megan. So she came with that, which is a clear signal that A, you don't belong here and B, you're lesser than us, you black bitch. That's basically what it comes down to. So um, let's move on to um, the misogyny. And the misogyny is in this Megan versus Kate um, mm. binary uh, that the British media, who is inherently racist and misogynist, um, likes to construct with women of similar ages uh in the monarchy so they did the same with diana and sarah which is Mm. um to basically yeah fergie yeah and you know they do it a lot so i mean some of these headlines are laughable in until you want to cry you know Mm. i mean we know about the avocado one i think yeah um i don't have to go over that but you know even touching her baby bump was a problem for them she touches Mm -hmm. her baby bump uh not long ago pregnant kate tenderly cradles her baby bump while wrapping her royal duties ahead of maternity leave and william confirms she's due any minute now that's a daily fail i mean mail um Mm -hmm. Why can't Megan keep her hands off her baby bump? They brought in experts. Experts tackle the question that has got the nation talking. Is it pride, vanity, acting, or a new age bonding technique? Um, Carol wins granny war. Carol is um, Kate's mother. Duke and Duchess of Cambridge will spend second private Christmas with the Middleton family rather than joining the Queen at Sandringham and then the other one was does the Queen deserve better than this baffling festival absence Richard Kay examines the impact of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's decision not to spend Christmas with the royal family so basically everything um, you know Kate and Wills Inc. Duke and Duchess secretly set up companies to protect their brand, just like the Beckhams. A royal cash-in, a right royal cash-in, how Prince Harry and Meghan Markle trademarked over 100 items from hoodies to socks six months before split with the monarchy with new empire worth up to 400 million pounds. So I find it, you know, uh, interesting I think the first okay so the first like jaw drop for me in this entire interview was when they said that they married three days earlier I was like oh, really mm-hmm.
1: I know I like that
0: I was just like well good for you you know
1: but oh. it was just it was just like I liked that but then she just was like yeah I was just asking the Archbishop of Canterbury and I was like oh yeah. that's it yeah that's it Okay. oh okay i mean that's, okay. A, that's a name drop but also you just like passed over it
0: oh yeah and uh the second one was how kate made her cry not the other way around which mm. made huge headlines and break you know what till this like that is one of the headlines and one of the narratives that really stuck mm-hmm. you know that megan was some crazy bridezilla Mm-hmm. who made Kate cry um endangered princess charlotte with her want of flowers mm-hmm. <laughs> at a wedding um and how she's basically dangerous mm-hmm. and and aggressive and it's that it's that assumption of aggression and placing megan the black woman and f- I'm going to call her a black woman now because obviously she is now <laughs> um as the aggressor Mm -hmm. and kate as the victim is exactly how white woman's um innocence and vulnerability is continually protected at the expense of black women and women of and other women of color
1: yeah because it's perpetuating the stereotype of the angry black woman
0: exactly which is a stereotype from slavery which we have covered on this uh those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while know that we covered some of those stereotypes in a previous episode um so i mean i don't think the double standards are that um you know are that controversial if you have two eyes and a clear mind uh (laughs) You know, Uh, so much so that Prince Harry talked about the coverage formally uh, Mm -hmm. before and after they were married in uh, terms of a statement, just talking about the racism and the sexism Mm -hmm. that he sees and history repeating itself with his mother, et cetera, et cetera. But also more than 70 women signed MPs, female MPs from across all parties, condemned the UK media's treatment of Meghan. Um, and they signed an open letter stating that they stand with Meghan in saying such behavior, quote, cannot be allowed to go unchallenged and praised her for taking a stand. Uh, they criticised the often distasteful and misleading stories. And basically how the stories had colonial undertones that go unchallenged. And then they link to and then this is a story in The Guardian and they link to um, just all the abuse that women have faced uh, through the press and through social media. Diane Abbott, who we talked about on another previous episode, who is uh, a black woman had the most vitriol online uh, of any female MP by far. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, this. these have real consequences, which is death, like people die. So I, I like, again, uh, yet another example of that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the, this isn't a Black woman, but you've got, um, what's his nuts? Oh, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, just, like, basically saying that the New York Times reporter Taylor Lorenz is, like, the worst thing and untalented and basically telling all of Fox News watchers to harass her on Twitter because he thinks she's a bad reporter or doesn't like her or whatever. And Taylor Lorenz and like the New York times and many other reporters just like, please leave her alone and end the harassment. Because I think like Taylor had to like move because I think she was doxxed or something like her life has like been uprooted by this type of behavior. And we really need to just stop treating women like this and the narrative of pitting women against each other is just so i get that the media wants a you know a good guy and a bad guy but good god maybe just have more talent and be more interesting i don't know like it's just so it's the like the literal it's the most base story that you could ever write
0: yeah and honestly i feel for taylor lorenz because that stuff comes with um violence
1: like it's not even that like he's just like mentioning it he is Tara carlson is doing literal segments about her on his show which is fucking disgusting she's like in her late 20s early 30s and he's got the, one of the highest rated cable news shows.
0: I feel for her is all I'm saying.
1: Absolutely. and I
0: truly feel for her.
1: People shouldn't have to, whether it's Taylor herself or Harry for Meghan pleading with the media to stop harassing you. Like this is like, everyone's talking about the framing Britney Spears documentary and yeah, and the, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, free Britney. Maybe we should have left her alone." You know what? Leave these people alone, too.
0: Yeah. Have you learned nothing?
1: You know, like what what are we doing?
0: We're victimizing women and and then and then criticizing them when they speak out about it. I know. I know. I know. I know trust me I get it yeah um so that makes it hard for me to pivot to the next point I want it's
1: fine what is it <laughs>
0: um Megan uh British colonialism is a thing <laughs> that's my only other criticism uh,
1: uh.
0: but however uh I honestly think that that's more of an American thing than a Megan thing. I just don't think British, like Americans have that in their consciousness, like you know we would hear and um, I found out so at one point, a quarter of the world's peoples were under British rule, mm. and many of the many of them black and brown people. Um uh I would say Asian people too actually coming to think of it.
1: Mm.
0: We talked about China, with um sh- sherry and um and you know, the opium wars, you can go back and listen to that um when we talked about Hong Kong, we also I don't think that people understand. The like colonialism has become so defanged that I don't think that people understand the inherent violence mm-hmm. that comes with colonialism because to keep people under your rule you have to like you have to what comes with it is intense violence and I just mm-hmm. want to bring up the Mau Mau Massacre, let's, let's hope that I'm saying it right for those who are Kenyan extraction and I am saying it wrong, I apologize. Um, but Britain had colonized Kenya since 1895 and that movement was comprised of Kenya's la- um, largest native tribe, the Kikuyus, many of whom had been pushed off their fertile lands in central Kenya by European settlers. And along with other tribes, they had been forced to live in ethnic reserves that were too small for them and required a special permit to move around the country. Hmm. That sounds familiar. (laughs) Indigenous peoples in Canada. Um. Many ended up as cheap labor on white owned farms in what has become known as the White Highlands by 1948 growing unrest on the farms had alerted the colonial government to the existence of the movement, which subsequently was banned in 1950 and two years later in 1952 violence erupted as the rebels began attacking farms and killing Africans they considered to be supportive of the regime the colonial government conducted a campaign of mass arrests and basically mass human rights atrocities Mm. um britain so they were taken to detention camp or prison and um i'm gonna give a trigger warning here this will only take about 10 seconds um they were then interrogated and often tortured and abused many women were raped with glass bottles many men were castrated with pliers and um apparently they electrocuted their balls and all sorts of stuff like that so and that's the british government so that was right before her coronation Mm. um violence erupted um you know, among the detainees who suffered severe mistreatment was Hussein Onyango Obama, the grandfather of Barack Obama. So they sued the British government. uh, And on June 6, 2013, the foreign secretary, William Hague, told parliament that the government had reached a settlement he said it included a payment of a settlement in sum, in respect of the 5,228 claimants, as well as gross costs, some to the value of 19.9 million pounds. Um, so the government will also support a construction of a memorial in Nairobi to the victims of torture and ill treatment during the colonial era, but Quote, we continue to deny liability on behalf of the government and British taxpayers today for the actions of the colonial administration in respect of the claims, end quote. The Mau Mau case represented the first time in British history that victims of colonialism were given the right to claim compensation from the British government for the abuse and suffering they had endured. Wow. Oh, is that it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Jesus.
0: So that's only one of the atrocities. I don't even want to talk about Ian Smith's regime in Zimbabwe.
1: Yeah, and, and I think and I think that like, you know, after all of this, William said this week, "Oh, the family's not racist." And I think he's just like, "Oh, well, my grandmother was against the apartheid." Oh, great.
0: I'm sorry. What about the what other- What did she do about- This is- and this is the exact point I made with that fool, um, David Onley. What did she do about it? I I'm, mean, yeah. Okay, maybe she- did she- I, I think she kicked She wanted, out the She prominent. wanted
1: to- she wanted to impose sanctions, but the prime minister didn't want to. And it's not ultimately her decision because- She's not the government or something. Isn't yeah,
0: but yeah, but let's be, let's be real about, you know, quiet diplomacy and, sure you know, all of that. Are you saying that she couldn't have done more? Yeah, because let's be honest, um, like <laughs> they did nothing. Oh, yeah, or they sure. did the bare minimum and now they want praise for it just like white people do. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, this, I was against apartheid but did nothing and, and sat on my hands. Listen,
1: I'm sure William has a black friend. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, no. Actually, no. He doesn't have a black friend. He plays polo. How would he have a black friend?
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. No,
1: knows a black person.
0: He has. No, you know what it is? The queen loves her commonwealth. And I'm like, this is not the flex you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> they, there were literally people on British television saying that the queen could not be racist because, you know, she has black and brown subjects that she loves so much. I uh-huh. mean it made me realize and you know when we get to the next issue um which kind of you know has a has a tentacle here um it made me realize that Britain really hasn't had the come to like the racial and the racial reckoning and the reckoning on misogyny that Mm. we have done that work that america and i will say even canada has begun Mm. canada was behind everybody Mm -hmm. no it's britain Mm. the fact that the royal family didn't even acknowledge black lives matter Mm -hmm. um the fact that they think that they can escape these sort of of um this reckoning is says a lot and how much they are actually holding Britain back Mm. from these discussions also says a lot and I also think that the UK media also holds Britain back from this these discussions and I just um, I'm, I'm, that's one of the things that actually surprised me that people are trying to get away with that kind of response and think that that's adequate or that the queen's response her 61 word response where she, you know, they talk about, or she says something who like that collections resp- may differ. Yeah. And, but didn't actually say that racism, racism is wrong. Like she didn't, you couldn't even say that.
1: It was, it was, um, a lot of issues were concerning, particularly those related to race or something. Um, and while recollections may differ, this is whatever.
0: This, this is a whole gaslighting nation, actually, because the amount of gaslighting I've heard is astonishing to me. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show that Brits don't seem to even recognize their own colonial legacy, but they will trade off of it. And
1: I just- No, but I mean, you could also say that about Canada.
0: (laughs) Fair. Oh, ding, ding. So I found this interesting. A little British colonial history Hmm. or British imperial history. I feel like imperialism is like colonialism plus capitalism or something.
1: Yeah, I just, sorry, just as, like, before you say, um, oh, well, the queen can't be racist because she loves her her subjects. (laughs) Listen, do you think the serfs during feudalism felt like the king loved them?
0: I don't think the Irish did either.
1: So, like, what? I'm just saying the Irish must
0: be looking back at this and Mm. laughing.
1: Yeah, we're like, thank fuck. We got out. Yeah. Also, didn't that, Boris Johnson say this week that he wasn't going to allow another Scottish referendum?
0: <laughs> right? Ooh. Because he knew he'd lose.
1: Yeah. Yikes. Anyway, uh, back to what you were talking about.
0: Um, I want to bring up India. I found something mm. on India that was really interesting. So it was how Britain stole $45 trillion from India. And I'm like, how did they do that? So let's let's just... And this part of this is just, just, you know, learning the truth, because I know people, some people have grown up or have believed Britain when they say colonialism was kind of like neutral and it was of no benefit to Britain and, um, you know, India is better off because we colonize them and, 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 okay. So here's something I didn't know. So prior to the colonial period, Britain bought goods like textiles and rice from Indian producers and paid for them with silver as they did with any other country. S- but in 1765, the East India Company, shortly after 1765, took control of India and established a monopoly over Indian trade. So we're just, I'm just going to explain how the is because there was, um, an, I think a Niger company by Britain in Africa that kind of did the same thing, or or there were several of these companies, so to speak, that really, um, infused sort of like capitalism and trade and, and in in these continents, which was a way of basically plundering them. So this is how they did it. The East India Company began to collect taxes in India, then used a portion, about a third, to fund the, por- the purchase of Indian goods for British use. Instead of paying for Indian goods out of their own pockets, or in other words, instead of doing that, they acquired them for free by using those taxes that were paid by peasants and weavers to buy Indian goods and then some of these goods these stolen goods were consumed in Britain but the rest were re-exported elsewhere so the re-export system allowed Britain to finance a flow of imports from Europe including strategic materials like iron, tar, and timber, which were essential to Britain's industrialization. So the Industrial Revolution depended in large part on the systematic theft from India. If you can hear my mom in the background, she's like, they did the same thing with sugar in the Caribbean. The raw sugar and exported to Britain refine it or so they claim into white sugar and sell it back to us and we were not allowed to refine our own. So there, there's a little history lesson from mommy Eiffel. Okay. So, um, yes, it's mercantilism, but listen, the re-exported goods, for they re-exported and sold those goods for much more than they quote-unquote mm-hmm. bought them for in the first place. Mm-hmm. Pocketing not only 100% of the original value, but also the markup. And that, my friend, is how Britain was built. Mm-hmm. On the backs of, of the, the so-called colonies, right? By stealing and plundering those countries. 45 trillion dollars. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I I was just like, that is, that is, that is a, that's a scheme.
1: I mean, welcome to capitalism. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Um, No, I think, like, I think we learn about this in schools, like, as mercantilism at the wrong age or... It's We we learn it at a young age and then it's not brought back up again when we start learning about economics and how society functions. And I think that we really need to think about drawing those links because they're inextricably linked.
0: Well, and it breaks down this idea that these countries are, you know, developed and rich because of their ingenuity that is just mm. a whole lot of hogwash they they raped and pillaged people and places and resources and that's how they got rich yeah Period. and
1: it, and it's funny because like when you talk about the raping and pillaging like obviously that very clearly that happened but we only ever talk about that in terms of like oh that's what the vikings did and we for some reason make the viking culture to be very barbaric whereas like brits Aren't they're civilized because they drink tea with their pinkies up?
0: Yeah, while they stab you in the back, Mm. sometimes in the front. (laughs) Listen, the Brits are people who will give you a brandy before they massacre you, and then they'll call it civilized. Don't at me. I can come up. You don't want it. You don't. Please don't don't at me. You don't you don't wanna you don't wanna get into this with me because I will bring up receipts, okay? <laughs> I mean, you just bought some today. So <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Now, here's the thing. So here's the here's the tentacle of this entire um of this entire royal rehab because there's a rehab going on. I mean there wasn't but there is
1: sure is now.
0: Yeah. So now that they're trying to show that they're human. That they
1: um, that they know black people.
0: That they know black people. And they know women because they're kind people. Okay. So let's let's move on to uh something else that popped off recently and, or happened. And, you know, the results of that popped off. Sarah Everard, who is, um, was a 33 year old woman uh, whose disappearance on a walk home had reignited a national debate on women's safety and sexual assault. So, um, a London (laughs) Metropolitan Police Officer, has been charged with her kidnap and murder. Wayne Cousins, 48, has been remanded in custody and will appear in court at the Old Bailey. Um, If you're listening to this on Tuesday, when we usually drop episodes, that is today. Um, But not today as in the time of taping. (laughs) So anyway, okay, okay, okay. Okay. Tuesday, March 16th. That is the point. That's when he will next appear in court. Okay.
1: Mm.
0: I mashed that up. I understand. Um, so uh, he was he's a police constable whose primary role was uniform patrol duties of diplomatic pres- premises. So he used to patrol number 10. Mm. Um, and he was arrested in Kent. So she disappeared on March 3rd. While walking in Clapham, South London, prompting an extensive police search in the area, her remains were found more than 50 miles from where she was last seen. A post-mortem examination will now take place. Her disappearance prompted thousands of women to share their own experiences of intimidation or harassment, or fear of violence while walking alone at night across the country on Twitter using the hashtag not all men, but all women. Uh, A series of vigils had been planned Saturday across the country, but the events from, you know, put on by Reclaim the Streets were cancelled after London police said the Clapham vigil couldn't go ahead citing coronavirus restrictions. But They gathered anyway, and on Saturday evening, uh, they made a makeshift memorial where Everard was last seen, Um, and basically police, there were a lot of people that showed up, Mm -hmm. if you look at the pictures, and um, the police showed up, and then naturally everything went to hell, and mass arrests happened, Um, you see... Uh, a really, a really violent display by the police in making Mm. these arrests. Um, And yeah, that kicked off. So I think now what's interesting about this is that the police are using coronavirus regulations to break up socially distanced demonstrations, even though, the Metropolitan Police uh, admitted in court on Friday that it had the discretion on how to respond to these protests and that people had a right to protest during the national lockdown. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's happening is the police are using the coronavirus to prevent people from protesting, which is their right.
1: Well... Yes, you're correct. But this is actually going to become a foreigner issue. And it goes back to what you were just talking about in that the UK hasn't had their um, racial and misogynist reckoning yet. Because <laughs> um, Boris Johnson is supposed to be introducing a bill in the parliament about police crime and sentence police crime, sentencing and courts that will allow the police to ban and break up peaceful protests that they subjectively decide carry a risk of serious annoyance to others. Right. So, you know, it it literally like will allow the police, you know, bastions of good decision-making.
0: Of course. um,
1: To decide if a protest is disruptive, including on the basis of like the suspicion that anyone could be alarmed by the, the noise and it could be inconvenience. Like how fucking British is that? Yeah. Um, it also allows the home secretary to unilaterally change the meaning of the phrase serious disruption at any time they, d- they decide to.
0: And you know, she's like the devil, right? <laughs> like pretty like, Patel. I
1: can't, I can't imagine. She's awful. I can't imagine that this passes a constitutional, the const like a constitutionality challenge. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like it possibly could, but I have no idea. Like it would have, I mean, obviously you'd have to go through the parliamentary process in order for it to- there to be a challenge, but yikes.
0: I mean, it's, it's, it's more than concerning. It's a problem obviously, but it's scary. Yeah. Because um, who knows what kind of ramifications, like obviously the ramifications are more police, but also more police funding mm-hmm. to quote unquote, deal with unrest.
1: Well, and then you're going to have to pay for all the people who are in the system now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it's it's highly concerning and um, I I'm not sure I don't know what to say to be honest. I will say this though So the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton made an unannounced appearance and also laid flowers of her own. However, she was not arrested Weird Nor was she wearing a mask Ooh Prompting many to conclude that this was a PR stunt intent on making the royal family seem human after this bombshell interview, Mm -hmm. which I completely agree with because, like, literally, you can't even wear a mask.
1: Listen, a lot of people have done things throughout COVID for PR. Uh, You know, Meghan Harry. Have been out and about when they were moving between Vancouver and California. They've been out, seen at other places. Um, you've got hell. You know what? We'll even go with Joe Biden, Kamala Harris doing a fucking entire presidential campaign. They could wear masks.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. Like the the level of like on like hubris. On, hubris but just like self-serving attitude and be like oh well, this will look better for me because you can see my face and the concern on it yeah i don't know maybe just follow public health advice because like what
0: and the hypocrisy of the met police um you know and this praising of her while Mm -hmm. villainizing
1: everyone else everyone else and
0: and and can we just say had that been megan how they would have dragged her
1: oh my god i know okay i mean megan would have been wearing a mask first of all
0: she would have been yeah she would have been because that that was you know and uh, i just i just find it disgusting how much they're using um this woman's death to rehab their image it's Ugh. disgusting
1: it's so disgusting
0: you know and and it just looks disgusting and after a week of or the latter of this week them trotting out their the the few black surrogates that they could find Ugh. to make them appear um i don't know i don't know what they think that is With except it. The- it, it, it looks like window dressing and tokenism, which it is. <laughs> um, and sure. the fact that they think that that's an appropriate response tells me that they're having some serious PR problems. I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you think that we are seeing the beginning of the end of the modern British monarchy?
1: What do you mean by modern British monarchy?
0: I mean the the second Elizabethan age. So when I say modern, I mean like after World War II.
1: And and so, are, so like, are you saying that we would get rid of the monarchy? Like, what do you mean?
0: This is a good question. This is a good follow up question. Um, I'm saying that they won't exist as the monarchy we know them as, like. There may not be a monarchy to pass to William. That's what I'm insinuating. But then I'm like, it's the British and they love their monarchy. So they'll exist in a certain way, in some form, but as it is. So with the privileges they have, with the, um, with the power that they have, Et cetera, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Although Harry did say that that the power that we think they have, they actually don't have, or yeah, they're I scared. Yeah, I was going to say,
1: like, I don't think that they have any power, yeah. real power. Yeah. They have a guise of power, um, but they don't make any. They're not driven by politics. They're not a government. They're not making decisions that directly impact the lives of people. Mm-hmm. They are mostly figureheads and and philanthropists
0: they're gonna have some challenges though
1: yeah and i think that like i think that they're experiencing so many challenges because they sense that change is coming and they are scared of the change and therefore charles is trying to Maintain a death grip so that it doesn't change where he can't adapt to it. I think that William would be more able to adapt to that change, but probably is still not thrilled about it. Whereas Megan and Harry, mostly Megan, understand what changes are coming and how things operate outside of their bubble. Right? I, and, think they're, I think they're yeah. too insular that they don't know what the real thing, what the real world is like.
0: And their advisors are all old white men who also don't know what the world is like.
1: But they're, or, or they're just so institutionalized because they believe in the monarchy so much that they are will do anything to maintain that control, maintain the existing system. They don't want to adapt because Meghan was their opportunity to do so. And they chose to not.
0: Yeah. And, you know, especially since they will be facing. um, So first of all, you know, the queen is, you know, has one foot in the grave. Like, let's be honest. Uh, Prince, Prince Philip is about to die soon. Um, I'm just what like the man is 99 no, I, no, years I know. old that
1: was me being <laughs> like ugh, great
0: I mean let's not be you know I mean he's had a long life yeah like he's got to die sometime yeah and he's closer he's a lot closer to it than than he was to than he is to birth okay I'm just saying is like it- mathematically speaking <laughs>
1: As an aside, I cannot believe I am absolutely gobsmacked that I have not told you this. What?
0: What? Yes.
1: I, I, you're hyping me up. Let's do this. Yes. Who has a column in the New York Post? Ew. About Meghan Markle and the racism she experienced.
0: Barbara Kay. Sure is. <gasps> Oh well the New York Post is is perfect for her.
1: She specifically wrote about how asking what the baby's skin color would be wasn't racist, it's just curiosity.
0: <laughs> and yeah, it's like asking
1: And it's like asking what color hair the baby will have.
0: Wow. I mean, not even, I'm surprised that even the New York Post posts like, wow. The she is, I, her, like, expert, I,
1: this okay. Is the, the joke that I made, I was like, you know what? She truly is the perfect person to have written about this, and she exonerated Jessica Mulrady.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and nobody cared that was the you know what the funny thing is okay literally everybody's like oh it's a tuesday or wednesday or whatever
1: it's a day that ends in y cool it's a day
0: that ends in y oh look at that it's snowing still it's winter you know nobody cared and what kills me is that okay so first of all now we know that jessica mulrini is like a closet racist and that's whatever um Because Jessica Mulrooney did the same thing that the royal family is doing. Is that after she was outed, she then started like hanging out with random Black people. Like she had her own Blackamores. You know what I mean? (laughs) And you would see this on her social media and on Instagram. And, you know, I'm just like, girl this is not the flat why do white people think that this is like not like it's transparent people
1: i don't know it's
0: not what you think it is it literally is not what you think Mm -mm. it is this is the other thing barbara k comes out after it's been decided i think it's like (laughs) basically been decided that that was a racist thing to do like maybe not in england like she should have written that in the daily mail Mm. But over on this side of the pond, I think it's kind of been decided that that was racist.
1: I mean, yeah, it's classic, classic Barbara Kay talking about something no one else is talking about.
0: <clears throat> Why is she? I mean, at least be on time. <laughs> like, if you're going to have trash opinions, be on time with them. Yeah, I mean, seven you know days who? later, Barbara Kay exonerates the royal family yeah this is done and dusted
1: yeah I mean you know who was uh in the comments
0: what did you say
1: I said no I wasn't in the comments
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> what like I thought you were in the comments I was like ooh. why would
1: I be in the- I don't
0: who 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 is in the comments Linda from. oh good lord mm. oh mm-hmm. Uh, why don't we just add, by Bi- L- like, Lynn Bayek to the conversation? <laughs> Lynn Bayek has entered the chat. <laughs> How did I forget that Diana is one of the baddest bitches in history? True. How did I forget that? Truly. Truly remarkable. In yeah. death, she is still bringing down this family. I salute her. If only I had that level of petty after the grave, I would be like, my work here is... is is it's it's like timeless okay the woman is timeless
1: just like her style she's timeless
0: you know i do want to say this i did read that so vox had a really good article that um really shaped the interview nicely Uh and in that article the prep like they presupposed and or maybe it's post-supposed, whatever, um, that had Diana not had her security detail removed, like yeah. they removed Harry uh-huh. and Meghan's, that she might actually still be alive. Uh-huh. Because, and that was something new to me. Uh-huh. Right? That the security part was just that important. That yeah. if, had they not removed it, Princess Diana might still be alive. Yeah because she wouldn't have gotten into the car with that random with the with the driver that she did and there would have been a protocol attached to dealing with the media that wouldn't involve speeding there'd be a little bit
1: more weight behind anything yeah
0: yeah so that's something so when harry says i don't want history repeating itself um that's real And that's very real in his mind. And it's not for us to say that he's overreacting because we don't know. Yeah.
1: Can we quickly go back to Kate in her visit to the vigil for Sarah Everard? Sure. The audacity. Like I understand that Kate probably on its face feels that, you know, women deserve the right to be able to live their lives how they want without fear of harassment, assault, death, whatever. But the audacity of someone with all the security in the world Uh. going to pay her respects
0: you 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 make a great point, which is she has security year round all the time for her and her children. what the fuck? yeah secondly <coughs> she when when the press was dragging her sister-in-law when mm-hmm. her sister-in-law was in crisis mm-hmm. she ignored her mm. Where was where was Kate refuting mm-hmm. the lies? Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay.
1: And be like, actually, that story's not true.
0: Actually, that story's not true. You don't, have to, tell, you don't have to
1: tell the truth, but you can, you can say that's not true.
0: You could say that story's not true. It's, or uh, it put
1: out a statement of support.
0: Yes. Yes. Where was that statement? So you're right there, you know what, now you got me riled up because you were completely right for this because you're right, the audacity of the caucasity of her, like coming out to support a woman in order to make the royal family and herself look better. Uh So they're obviously, so they're using her in the first part. The audacity to do it without wearing a mask and endangering others Uh is something else. The audacity to do so after she ignored the pleas of her sister in law in crisis is another. And the audacity to continue the lie uh-huh. against Megan is appalling. Uh-huh so yeah i i i hear you i completely hear you i completely agree with you and don't tell me about kate and how kate is what look kate decided a long time ago that she was just gonna go with the flow she was gonna give up her voice good not i don't even know if she had one in the first place to be honest because lord knows i feel like kate's life has always been run by somebody else yeah so agency and Kate don't get along and that's why no. the British media loves her is because yeah. she shuts up like a woman should in mm-hmm. their estimation
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. she has no personality she's completely beige she doesn't stand out she's a she is
0: literally I mean and okay here's something else The royal family not killing stories is a load of crap. Because Mm -hmm. they killed the story about Kate's Botox. Mm -hmm. Something as innocuous as, I don't care if Kate got Botox. Good for her. Okay? More power to her. Yeah. They thought that that was damaging enough to her
1: Mm -hmm. to
0: kill that story.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And William's Affair. Yeah. They killed that story. Yeah. Right? So i believe william had that affair with rose hanbury or whatever her name was Uh um and the the and whose husband was the earl of shamandy or something like that uh which is like too many letters for one sound um (laughs) like i really do think so it's just i didn't say one syllable one sound um so you know the fact that they let Megan hang out to dry is just another, and I don't care whether or not Megan's personality ma- matches her earnestness in public. I don't mm-hmm. care. That's not yeah. the issue to me, right? Yeah. The issue is, did this, what did this institution do to this woman? Yeah. And I'm sorry, but how, and us really thinking that there's a right way to respond to misogyny and racism is exactly the problem because Mm -hmm. we can't legislate and we can't tell people what the right way to respond to that onslaught is. And I think that's, what's missing too. It's not our, I don't care how much she, um, how, you know, how, what a nice person she is or isn't or whatever. It's not my thing, but they literally attempted to, uh, a character assassination mm-hmm. the week before that absolutely that came out by calling her a bully and you know we're going to investigate bullies yeah they don't even investigate prince andrew they never investigated him
1: they never he's launched still, an investigation he's still on full, full salary or allowance he and hasn't been cut off and he's doing fucking shit all he has security
0: he has he has his military honors. He was never stripped of them. Mm. I mean Yeah. Like Yeah. Let's this talk, is not hard if we're talking to put about putting
1: if we're talk not if we're talking about like who's brought disrepute to the name, it is absolutely not Harry and Meghan.
0: No. Not at all. So. Agreed. And that's my whole issue with this damn family.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And that and their murderers. So there's that. And, th- and, you know, thieves, murderers, and basically liars and yada, yada, yada. Oh, is that it? Rapists, <laughs> pedophiles. <laughs> um, yeah. Huh. That's, that's the class A felonies I can think of. Oh, okay kidnappers
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. glad you got that off your chest
0: so my mom providing commentary here because she's like totally into this whole thing is what did you say Prince Andrew was known to in Barbados to have relationships with young girls I read that oh my gosh I read that yes but they love the Commonwealth, Aaron, don't you know? That's they how love he their blacks. how he loves them. <laughs> okay, this is going to go somewhere. <laughs> on that note, let's go. <laughs> Whoa! So, Whoa! I will be looking forward to the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell um, when, when Prince Philip dies, because you know he's on 1% battery life. Um, we'll do a retrospective on him too because that won't be pretty um Um, yeah and you know charles so okay here's the last question before we leave who do you think said it i think it was charles i think it was william Hmm. bye everybody bye Bye. (laughs) maybe we
1: should do that again yeah sure okay bye Bye.
0: My face is bad and busted.